Interpreting is easy, compiling is hard, and linking is even harder. On this week's Merge Conflict, we discuss everything that happens as you're typing code and when you hit that debug button. So join in as we help you navigate the syntax tree forest. The last three years, I've been describing how exactly Xamarin works, Frank. And if you think of it from a C-sharp.net perspective, I just write C-sharp.net code. And then magically, these apps run on iOS and Android. Magic. And I have this beautiful diagram and imagery of how these apps get pure native performance on all mm-hmm. the different platforms. So I always say something like this. I go, hey, listen, you know, each platform has its own optimizer and com- linker and compiler. So we take your C-sharp, we compile it down into IL, then we compile it one more time down into LLVM bytecode, and then we even now actually compile it one more, time, one more time down into bytecode, and then we send that puppy right through the same LLVM compiler and optimizer that Apple uses to, boom, get a native ARM binary running natively on the platform. Woo. And then on it, ooh, yeah, it's long. <laughs> You know, I've, I've now memorized that down to one thing. And someone would then tell me and they'll say, James, well, how exactly does this work? How does that work? And Android's even a little bit different. And I go, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a mid to high level developer. So once I get down to like past IL, I don't know, it just, it just works. It just <laughs> um, works. That, I mean, that's works. the point of .NET though, was it was really simple, right? Yeah, you just write code and then magically it's supposed to run on every platform or something like that. I don't think actually maybe they didn't announce that in the beginning, but we took it that way for a lot we of reasons. There were, and there we, were standards. Well, we did that because um, it does have that intermediate language in it. It's a really interesting part of .NET. But yes, the C. The C. I-L. The C-I-L, the Common Intermediate Language. Yeah, so essentially when we talk about IL, it's an intermediate language. And the idea, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can take that intermediate language and then um, anyone could then compile it down and and turn it into machine code. Yeah, uh, not anyone. It takes quite a bit of effort to turn IL into machine code. You have to um, write a translator to do that or a compiler. I guess we should say in the beginning, I use the compiler very loosely. Anytime I'm translating from one format to another, I'm just like, it's a compiler. That's it. Input, it's output. It's a compiler. <laughs> yeah, that makes you know, turn on, off, go, boom, done. <laughs> yeah, but I guess we have a really real compiler, though, that takes a language like C Sharp and compiles it down to IL. Yeah, so uh, if people ask me, you know, how does it work? I say, well, we use the same. If you're in Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio, we're using Roslyn, right? It's the open source mm-hmm. .NET compiler, C Sharp compiler, C Sharp compiler. C Sharp compiler. Well, it, actually, Roslyn's kind of an umbrella, and it's technically the... Uh, project name but it does visual basic too everyone keeps forgetting visual basic yes visual basic and it's a compiler as a service Mm -hmm. so technically anyone could use it yeah and i think actually there's been a a little bit of work trying to get f sharp into roslyn also because roslyn has a nice abstraction layer over programming languages it's kind of a unified model so you think like a tool like visual studio supports multiple languages so they designed a nice uh, library that also supports multiple languages so kind of no matter where, what I'm developing in, if it's C-sharp, F-sharp, VB.net, 
um, we're compiling an app, like we're creating an app bundle at, at the end of the day, but it goes through all these different steps. And I think that's what, you know, we want to kind of get into, yeah, which is that this sounds fun. Yeah. This is, this sounded like right up your alley. Uh, <laughs> and, it, and it interests me too, because I'm always, like I said, I'm always talking about all this stuff and, and I know it up to some point and then I'll go okay. read a Wikipedia, you know, document and I'll get refreshed. But yeah, what well, I've been really focusing on recently is linkers. Oh gosh. Um, We're going to start at the hardest part, the weirdest part. No, so, so that's my favorite topic right okay, now. What's we'll, your we'll favorite? Get there. Yeah. We'll get there somehow. Yeah. Uh, I'm a compiler freak. Uh, okay. I love programming languages. I think we mentioned that before. And so if you love programming languages, you have to learn how to write a compiler eventually. So that's my favorite side. I've been told that the best way to really understand development, who, what's his name on our, on our compiler team? Um, Merrick? No. He's a Miguel. very... No, he's a taller gentleman. He's, he's like bald. Um, has no hair. I'm going to remember his name halfway through the show. Mark? Yeah, Mark. <laughs> okay. I think so. That, that really helped everyone just saying a, a general name there. Mark. Mark, you know Mark. Uh, and he, he was telling me, I think it was him and Bate, like he told Bate to go write a compiler or something like that. And I've been told multiple times that that's actually some of the best way to learn how all this stuff works. I'll just go write your own compiler. But you know, if you tell me that, I'm like, I don't know what that means. No, you don't. don't you don't write you're a compiler. You write an interpreter. That interpreter. should be the thing that you learn how to write. Yeah. So what does an interpreter do? Spew an interpreter. Oh, well, I mean, it does a lot of things, but it takes a program in some form, which could be text. It could be what we would call an abstract syntax tree, just a more memory efficient version of text. And it takes that and it executes it. It acts just as if you had compiled the program and then asked the machine to run the program. But in this case, it kind of short lines that and streamlines it into straight from one source straight to execution. I mean, when we talk about this, we're always just talking about a pipeline that goes through this stage to this stage to this stage to a final stage. And you can interrupt that pipeline anywhere. And an interpreter simply says, well, it's a straight pipe. <laughs> we, we go from source to execution. And now is your interpreter, that, that's pre-compiler, that's a pre running? What the interpreter teaches you is how do programming languages fundamentally work? So the semantics of the language. How does okay. an object-oriented system work? How do you call a function? How do you pass arguments to a function? Uh, these, you need these very basic understandings of how a programming language works in order to write an interpreter. The nice thing is an interpreter, once you've figured out how things work, it's pretty easy to make them work. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to give a short example of that, but say well, if I was I, writing, if I was writing a new programming language, let's say I was mm, writing yeah. Mott Sharp, for instance, yeah. Very and good. I wanted to be like, this is, this is how you create methods and uh, mm -hmm. the, everything has to be, um, reverse. Let's say you, yeah, let's say, you, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Everything's reverse. That's everything's terrible. reverse. Let's say you have to put your arguments before your, your name just for some reason. Whoa. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like why it. Why not? Yeah, there's actually languages like this, but it's the other way around. They're called concatenative languages, CAT. Uh, they're a very interesting subgroup. Anyway, <laughs> so we usually don't start uh, with methods. Methods are tricky. So we start okay. with something simpler, expressions. Expression. So these are values. These are things like 2 plus 2. This is calling a function. This is what assigning a variable a value. 
that's a terrible expression. Comparing two value, values, that's a good one. Are, is this value equal to that one? Sure, so, so in JavaScript, you could have equals equals <laughs> or an equals 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 have yeah, different meanings. They have a single equals too. Yeah. <laughs> and a single equals. Yeah, you can have them all. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're coming up with all those kinds of definitions. Mm -hmm. uh, and the expression is kind of the lowest level. It's almost like the calculator version of um, a programming language. It's the simplest part. So you start by writing um, expressions, how to interpret expressions. How do I interpret 2 plus 2? Well, first I got to read the number 2, then I got to read the plus sign, read another number 2, put those together somehow, magically interpret them, and get the value 4. That's what an interpreter does. Ah, so you start okay. with that. That's basic, but that'll yes. that itself will teach you a lot of bit, a lot about um, how compilers work, actually, because a lot of time compilers are doing expressions, not even the overall structure of your code. That's more for the humans. Yeah, I was, you know, I was you when you talk about the two plus two. I was in a talk with Casey from the Roslyn team, and she was talking about how they were doing the expression tree of arrays, right? Because you yeah. can new up an array in multiple ways. You could do like array.empty or something, and you can do a, a new, uh, uh, you know, brackets, and mm -hmm. then you could actually put something inside of it. So she said, what if they put spaces, though? What if they put nothing inside of it? You have mm -hmm. to create this expression tree uh, and kind of generic size that up the line. Yep, and that expression tree is a larger part of the syntax tree, or the AST, the abstract syntax tree, as it's called sometimes. And the neat thing is you can go download, you know, download, you nuget Roslyn, <laughs> you go get, uh, <laughs> what is it called? It's like code, code analysis.c sharp. Code analysis. Yeah, yeah, you can grab that guy. Open up a few namespaces and somewhere in there, I think you can do like expression tree dot parse and you can just throw it some simple code, not objects, not methods, not that kind of stuff, but like calculator type examples. And from mm -hmm. that, you'll get the syntax tree. Okay. So that's pretty basic. That's the parser. We left that part out, but interpreters and compilers both have a common part called the parser, which is just another transformation step that actually takes source code and turns it into the syntax tree, something that's easier to work with. Gotcha. Okay. So we have expressions. Now you want what? Methods? You're going to go there? Yeah, we can do methods. I like methods. Yeah. We're just gonna, we'll just go with straight just some methods. <laughs> we're not worrying about how they're private or public or static or, yep. or their namespaces or anything like that. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, so it, it's pretty easy. You just start building data structures on top of your expressions. So what is a method? It's a name. It takes some parameters. It has a list of parameters. They have mm -hmm. types. If you want to put types into your programming language, totally optional because we're making a new language. Yeah, sure, exactly. They, yeah. they, they have some sort of separator to say where what is separating them it could be uh, uh that's actually colon. taken care of by the parser so we like to oh, break things into different chunks so the parser takes care of the syntax how do things actually look do i use the let keyword or do i use var you know the syntactic things that matter but don't matter they matter to humans but they don't really matter to the computer Gotcha. So the parser takes care of a lot of that. So by the time it gets to the syntax tree, all we basically have is a name, a list of parameters, and then what's the body of a, me of a method, but just a really big expression. Mm -hmm. So that's it. We just keep building that data structure. Then what's an object? Well, it's just another data structure that has a bunch of methods on it and a bunch of field declarations. What's a field declaration? It's just a name and a type and initializer. Kind of Pretty build easy. on top of each other, essentially. Just keep building it up. And the neat thing is you're building a programming language now. Okay. But now what do you want to do? Do you want to interpret this thing or compile it? Well, what comes first, the interpreter or the compiler? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, it's a real... 
I guess in the old days, um, definitely the interpreter. But then I don't know. I don't know how this history worked out. It feels like in the earliest days, everyone was writing interpreters. But then at some point, we switched to compilation. And the difference between them is with compilation, not only do I parse it, not only do I build up the syntax tree, but now I actually have to emit machine code. I can't just execute it. I can't just look, oh, that's a two, that's a two, they're a plus, let's just add them together. I can't do that. Instead, I have to emit like Intel assembly language. You know, you have to learn how the machine actually works. You have to do registers and put values in registers. It's a lot of work that a compiler has to do. So if we write our interpreter first, essentially you could think of it maybe as we have the, some high level instructions that mm -hmm. we've sort of created. Yeah. Um, and we're going to translate them. So instead of no, we're going to interpret them, we're going to translate them kind of into some intermediate form. So kind of an intermediate language. Yeah, this so. is a pretty common thing. Uh, Visual Basic pre.net did this exact thing. Uh, they called it P code, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that step is, is really nice. Uh, .NET obviously took it on with uh, the CIL. And that's where you go from the parser to the syntax tree. And now you emit this intermediate language, which isn't quite machine code, but it's very close to machine code. And the reason it's not quite machine code is so that you can move it from different platforms, from different machine to different machine. It's really nice for that. And then you can make your interpreter either execute it or you can make your compiler emit machine code. Yeah, that makes sense. Because to me, I, I, I've never, you know, I'm pretty sure I learned all this, you know, back 15 years ago yeah. <laughs> when I was starting with programming. And You don't and apply we, it I mean, every day. You don't write compilers every day. That is correct. So I feel as though that maybe, Frank, this has been a center of your topic because you you had to write your own interpreter recently <laughs> yes. from all the podcasts that I've been listening to you on besides ours. And then obviously you brought Roslyn, the, comp the C-sharp compiler, to the iPad and also the M-sharp compiler too. Mm -hmm. And to me, I've always really dealt with the compiler because you're, you're always essentially like, I'm compiling my code. And what compiling means is like, it's taking my source code that I wrote in some programming language and it's, and it's transforming that into machine language that are, is gonna be executed um, from some binary or some form, you know, my object code. That's kind of how I think of it. So I never really worry about this interpreter. And in, in, let's say I'm inside a Xamarin Studio or Visual Studio, and where does that interpreter come, come in? Does, does it come in? Oh, it, well, we can actually start with a little history here. I think the very first version of Mono was interpreted. Uh, they do that just because it's quite it's much easier to write an interpreter than a compiler. So definitely when you're just getting something up to speed, uh, you start with an interpreter. But these days, .NET has a pretty magical feature. <laughs> let's, let's go with magic. Let's stick with that theme. Uh, the link expression compiler. That thing is magic. Have you ever used it? Uh, I've, I use link, uh, link and, yeah. <laughs> and I've seen what it has produced, mm -hmm. but I have not used it myself. Like, I don't think I may have. Yeah. This is a really neat feature of .NET where if you open the namespace uh, system.link.expressions, you'll actually get an expression tree, just like the one that Roslyn provides. It's a separate tree, two different libraries. But the neat thing is, if you build up this tree in .NET, this expression tree, there's just a method on it called .compile, and you can just say compile, and it'll give you a method back, a delegate, you know, Aww. something that you can execute. 
So this is a really quick way to start writing either interpreters or um, just scripting languages if you want to have like a little command line in your uh, app, things like that. Oh, that's fancy. I did it's not know really fancy. Uh, the neat thing is uh, it can make your code very fast. So I think things like JSON.NET actually uses it because reflection can be very slow. But if you start compiling these expression trees, they actually get jitted, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> uh, they get jitted and therefore execute very fast. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to go do a whole like application uh -huh. and well, just to investigate it, it. It gets better than that because there's another thing called the DLR, the dynamic language runtime. Is that right? The DLR. <laughs> I am familiar with the DLR where yeah. essentially... Well, I, I was investigating this. Why would you ever use the dynamic keyword? Essentially, this is yeah. where the DLR to me comes in. And 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 do you know and anyone was, that uses it? No, no. Actually, this is a safe place. You can admit it. Uh, um, I, no, I have seen it been used, especially in some in samples too. Uh, recently, around C sharp seven, I think mm -hmm. there's been some examples where I see dynamic being used. I'm like, why? It seems so scary because. You're saying it's dynamic. You don't, it, it could be anything. It's, it can it, be anything. Literally, it can be, it can anything. be anything. Yep. Uh, it's a choice. I, I kind of like that uh, .NET or at least C Sharp supports the option to write dynamic code because maybe if you come from a background like Python or Perl or JavaScript, <laughs> maybe you're just used to that world and just don't care about types. And so I'm kind of happy that they have the dynamic keyword, but at the same time, I never use it. I think that it's because to me it'd be a little bit tricky to use because what I love about C Sharp and .NET is I know what goes in and I know what comes out. When I type dynamic in and I'm using that as a keyword, I I probably know yeah. what's coming in and what's coming out. However, is I'm assuming that you'll be able to use it with pattern matching in C Sharp seven, and that would be uh, a very powerful yeah, that could feature. Be, yeah. But then again, you can just cast up the object. So the real reason that we have the DLR was to support dynamic languages, uh, dynamically typed languages on .NET. And that's like Iron Python, which is the Python. Uh, I think there was even an Iron Ruby. Iron and, Ruby. Yep. And then there's the Clojure.NET, the Clojure compiler. And then... Mm, Okay, we're at the end of my knowledge now. <laughs> but at least I know uh, those three use the DLR. Yeah. And the problem there is because they don't have type information, it's really hard for them to emit uh, the kind of code that IL, uh, .NET's intermediate language, expects. Because .NET was written kind of expecting that all the types will be known and they're static and they'll just remain the same. Uh, but here comes these dynamic languages. They're making good progress. And they wanted to make them super fast, make sure they're very well supported. And so they extended not the IL so much, but at least the libraries and created the DLR so we can run those. So we can at least run them so it won't matter. And they JIT. They use little expression compilers so the code gets very fast. It's not like running interpreted code. That's usually how you support these dynamic languages is with mm -hmm. interpreted code. But there are lots of reasons because we're not compiling down to the machine that that code can be slower. Yeah, correct. So in general, when we talk about compilation, there's a few parts. There's two things that we would always talk about. We would talk about just-in-time compilation mm -hmm. and then AOT, which is ahead-of-time compilation. And kind of when we talk about the DLR, and you're talking about jitting, so we'll say JIT for just-in-time, 
we can kind of think of it as like a dynamic translation. If I go to Wikipedia, that's how they'll dynamically yeah. say it, right? We, we, we like saying that we're tra a translation too. Translation. It's a compilation, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's and this is this is essentially compilation that's done of a program at runtime, right? Yeah. So ahead of time, as in the name, <laughs> is ahead of time compiled. Yes, and down to machine code. That's the down important. to machine code. Yeah. Uh, ones and zeros, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so so it would seem though that we were talking a little bit earlier before the podcast that well well you know ios like almost always uses you know it uses ahead of time compilation and android we use just in time compilation and net applications for a long time were just jitted oh, yeah. but if we're talking about dynamic things how can you ahead of time compile something <laughs> like this link expression yeah that's dynamic or even use yep. a dynamic keyword. How does that even work? Uh, there's a little library that they depend on called something like Microsoft Dynamic and a little class in there called Interpreter. <laughs> so on iOS, where we're required that everything be compiled ahead of time, um, you do run into the situation where you want to support some of these DLR languages. And what can you do? You write an interpreter. So there are actually some very small edge cases where you'll fall back to an interpreter in Xamarin. So you are you are essentially AOTing, but then you have this library that falls back to this interpreter that we discussed earlier that is now taking and essentially executing that dynamic code. Yeah, it's I mean, it's really it. brilliant because the API simply says compile and it mm -hmm. gives you a method reference back. And so it's really up to the runtime to decide just what does compile mean. <laughs> so, yeah, that could mean going all the way down to uh, native code, probably via IL first. It would first generate some IL, and then eventually the JIT would notice it's executing, and it would uh, compile that down to machine code. But <laughs> really, you don't know. <laughs> it might be and, interpreted. Yeah, so... Interesting. Interesting. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Deep down .net. Very technical this week. And uh, I mean, so for a long time then, when I look at what would be jitting code uh, are runtimes, right? So the runtime is running yeah. and executing this code. So you have the CLR, common language runtime. Uh, Android has the ART, the Android runtime, and then the Dalvik or JVM. Uh, yep. These are all jitting code. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and you have the older runtimes too. So, small talks and those. And the small talks of the world. <laughs> Sorry. I just have yeah. to keep bringing that up in every episode. You have to. Don't, we can ne ne never let it go away. Uh, and so does, and AOT takes a long time because it's ahead of time compiling all this code. It's a and lot. there's been a big push towards .NET Native, which is actually doing AOTing, but not on your machine, but in the cloud, which to me seems very scary. Yeah, um, and, and Apple's actually doing it now too. Apple has its own intermediate language called, well, it's not actually Apple's, it's LLVMs, and that's called mm. Bitcode. And Apple's actually doing the same thing where instead of uploading ARM or x86 code, you upload Bitcode and then their cloud magic servers <laughs> bring it all the way down. They had to bring it all it. the way down. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can splice, they can essentially splice up and figure out what's being used. Where is, is that's their so idea? Say, why that that's called that. linking, and that's a whole difficult topic. Um, a, a lot of times, there will be a lot of theoretical reasons, a lot of theoretical benefits to doing it like this, but uh, in the end, they're not always so advanced. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's intriguing to me that everyone kind of wants to go to this world of that. I was just at Google I.O. and um, there was a big, big change actually with art. So the 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 Dalvik art, art, Android applications, essentially, I always kind of reference them as like, oh, they're kind of running in a virtual machine. Like your app is just yeah, this little. Totally are. It's a little virtual machine with your little runtime, just like being <laughs> all happy. Yeah. Uh, and they changed something with the Android runtime, uh, which it, it's still in that same fashion in a way. But what the Android runtime did was it said, we're going to essentially AOT or ahead of time compile or ahead of time install. It was like very confusing. But what they're doing uh-huh. is they're at install time, they would AOT your application. Wow. To okay. run it. So they would and look then, at your Java Delvic bytecode <laughs> and then bike. AOT that. So they were doing what Xamarin does, basically. Exactly. But they're like, you know what? These 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 uh these little little supercomputers in our pocket <laughs> are super fast. So yeah. Let's do that because they wanted, I don't know why they, they decided this one thing, but they're like, if it runs on the art, the art's doing it, it'll be the same art runtime that's everywhere. So you don't have Honestly, to worry about I think different machines. Google developers just get annoyed at people saying that Android is slow. I think iOS developers love to say Android is slow. And I think they actually take it to heart when we're really just jabbing at them. But I think yeah. they actually listen to us, unfortunately. So Google changed something in N, the Android NuGet release, <laughs> which awesome. is is that when you ahead of time install something that takes some significant time yeah. and i don't know if you know but android applications update quite often uh, so oh. if you go to install applications and you're on l or m it could take some serious amount of time so i was at google io and they said this is intriguing i want to get your feedback on this and how you feel about this is what they're going to do is they're not going to aot your application at install time but what they're going to do is as your application is running, so startup and they're using your applications, Google, the Android operating system, will essentially evaluate all the methods and everything that's being executed hmm. and keep track of this. Yeah. To essentially <laughs> reference count, if you will, how many times things are well, being Well, they're running used. a profiler. Yeah, they're looking at your stack. They're, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at your stack. They're going to do all this. And then what's going to happen is when the user has their device plugged in and they're not using it, so it has to be in some doze state, they will run a cron job, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing it down. (laughs) Bring it down. They're going to run a cron job, and that is going to execute this script file. And as your users uh, um, use your app more, it would essentially kind of become faster is what they're yeah. trying to say <laughs> um which is interesting however yeah. this is it's all this, sounding good so far you haven't re- thrown any like hooks in the, here's the gotcha okay is that they have to reset your entire application after every app update so they have to reprofile it so they throw away the old right so now they're not aoting things at install time so when they install yeah. a new one they can't really diff what has been changed and what's been AOT'd and what's not been AOT'd. <laughs> sure. So that's the beautiful part is they said, listen, nothing's ever been AOT'd, so let's keep nothing AOT'd yeah. from the developer. So now whenever you install a new version, they got to redo it all over again. It's that interesting. still doesn't sound too bad. You, you would hope after just a couple runs it would run that profiler thing. Does anyone know how active that profiler is? I mean, it's it's running whenever your app's running, I guess. Oh, I, I mean afterwards, uh, the recompilation step, the AOT. Yeah, they did some really beautiful charts and graphs, and you should look up a Google, <laughs> okay, Google cool. I.O. about yeah. our runtime improvements, and this is where they, they spent a lot of time in. It was really intriguing to me, and when you brought this up, it's, it works so different than any 
anything else. I I'm don't so think used. it's so different. No, no. Um, okay. Well, you asked my opinion. My first opinion is sounds great as long as it works. <laughs> sounds great because I think that's the whole point of using these intermediate languages: the uh, Delvic bytecode, the .NET IL, Apple's Bitcode. The whole point of that is to be able to recompile it on demand and optimize for the machine. Mm. So I actually do like that. And profile gui guided optimization, it's actually a feature you get in Visual Studio and maybe it's supported in .NET, I don't recall. But uh, it, it's just smart. If it notices that you call this one function from this other function constantly, all the time, in a hot loop, then it can inline that function and remove a few little opcodes and speed it up by 10%. It's good. It's good stuff. And but, as long as it works. That's all I care but, about. Yeah. So how, how different is it? Um, well, how does .NET work? .NET jits a method whenever it's called. So we start with a main function. The main function gets jitted. And then you have another function called display the UI. That function gets jitted. Whatever function that calls, those get jitted. And it just spreads out in a fast jitting tree. So I guess what Google's trying to avoid here is that even that tiny bit of analysis by having the AOT just come through and have all that stuff kind of pre-compiled. Sounds good. Sounds good. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, Frank you has sound convinced hesitant. me. No, I mean, where's your hesitancy? I think well, my head, my head, my hesitance was always even in the beginning when they were doing full, they were doing AOT at install time. Is that when I ship an app to the app store, the app that gets installed? I mean, technically, is the same app, but yeah, totally different, right? Uh. I mean. <laughs> It's, I, no, I think I think you're just gonna get have, have to get used to this difference. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. yeah, you just gotta accept it. Uh, the fact is, um, yeah. So you're saying the output of my compiler is not what's being put on people's devices, but you've always used .NET and .NET had a JIT, so you've always been in this camp. I hate to break it to you. Okay, you win, Frank. <laughs> uh, you win. But uh, probably my favorite thing to debate on is is not the not the actual interpreter mm. or the compiler so or cool. or the AOTing and the jitting. Yes. Where are you going? I'm scared. My favorite, my favorite part is this linker that you you Oh, you, the linker. You, the linker that you you <laughs> avoided earlier in this conversation <laughs> yeah. because it's one of the most um it's totally one of the <laughs> the most raised questions that I have about all development cuz People will come and they say, oh, you're using .NET in, in Xamarin on an iOS and Android device. Mm -hmm. You have to install all of .NET? Whoa, that all must be it. huge. No, it's so, like a down, you got to reboot your computer after it too. Yeah, it's like, does <laughs> everything use a, it uses a shared runtime and everyone has to go install .NET separately? I'm like, no, 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 we haven't had to do that <laughs> no. since Windows 7. <laughs> wow, we, we were always installing .NET redistributables. But remember when .NET didn't used to ship on a machine? Uh, fortunately, I, I, hmm, I remember waiting for Vista because I think Vista was going to be the first version where it came pre-installed because XP it was not, but XP Service Pack 2. Oh, God, I guess I do remember those days. <laughs> we, My friend Jesse, who now works at Twitch, he... He used to be. He used to do all of our install scripts. That when I worked at Canon or Ose was the company uh, that I got acquired by Canon. But 
Uh, he used to do all the install scripts. And I remember his logic for trying to figure out like what versions of .NET and what, yeah. you know, all this stuff were installed. It was crazy. Anyways, and, I had native wrappers too and click ones and all that. They would try to download it. But yeah, the whole point was, was .NET back then was this like stupid 150 meg download. The progress bar took forever. One of the reasons the progress bar took forever was it was AOTing a bunch of code. <laughs> so come back Android problem. Windows yep. has gone through it. Uh, but yeah, it was a, a ugly, ugly process. So, so, so I think of it. I think of the linker like this: is that no, we're not installing all of .NET into your mm-hmm. application. That'd be crazy because you only use a subset of .NET. It, yeah. You have a huge library. If you have, if you have a library, this is what I think. This is how I can explain the linker: is if let's say I create a library, Frank, and it is Mots's awesome library, and it has two methods: <laughs> awesome method one and awesome method two. Great. You consume my library and you only use method A. And, mm-hmm. and there's no code in method B that one and uh, two. One and two. You use method one and yep. you never use method two. And method two doesn't refer or reference anything in method one. Right. Right. That, that's the important thing. They have no dependency on each other. They have no dependencies. So what a linker does is it employs some static analysis. Mm-hmm. And what it'll do is it'll say, listen. Frank's application is consuming my library, but he never calls. He seems to never call method two. So what's going to happen is almost think of it like a garbage collector in a way is it's going to discard anything mm-hmm. that's not needed Man, and you're remove good at this. it. I feel like you've explained this before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and remove it in a way. So it's discarded and thrown away. So if you can think of your application, there's obviously like uh, there's very important chunks of 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 dot net logic that are in there that you're always going to use like system, like a lot of system you're going to use most likely uh, in your application. System dot string. System dot string. <laughs> I think it'll make it through the linker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It'll always make it through. And 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 I and I describe it as me like holding something and like pulling pulling stuff out of a box. Like it's just like yeah. I want get getting rid of all that packing yeah. packing peanuts and but leaving a little bit because you can't get rid of all of it. You can't, can't get rid of all the packing. You can't peanuts. get rid of all of it. And there's a lot of reasons why you can't get rid of all of it. I think it's actually been theoretically proven that you can't actually analyze a program in this way. So there's actually no theoretically sound way to say that you have the full set of what's addressed. And at the same time, if you have a dynamic language like JavaScript or Python, uh, these linkers rely very heavily on type information to know what's what. And if you don't have types, it's really hard to know what's what. And so uh, the linkers just aren't as effective. So this is a nice uh, taking advantage of our static types. Yeah, it's it's super nice. And we we do that even, I was actually doing this on an Android application, a very simple one. I said, what is the default size when I add in all the new Android junk support libraries? <laughs> you know, with, with Android, you, you always have to include support. You got you to gotta include it. Well, I'm, this is, oh, this is a great yeah, podcast we'll, for later we'll do an on. Episode on that. I'm almost getting ready to say, nah, throw it all away. <gasps> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely do an episode. Yeah. But, but for right now, you still need it for a bit. And these are all just support NuGet libraries. And I said, you know what, if, what if I just add all this stuff and I have a single screen application and it is like a Xamarin Forms app. So like, you know, there's a lot in there, but what happens when you add all the new material design, all this mm-hmm. stuff into it, what happens? Mm-hmm. And all the JSON.NETs and all your database libraries. And- exactly. Because I'm no longer just using .NET. I'm using a lot of Android stuff. I'm using a lot mm-hmm. of external packages that right. I've installed. Right. So 
Xamarin and linker behavior has a don't link, which is kind of debug, which is like don't do anything. It makes your compiling faster when you go to run. And you have a link SDK assembly, so just my .NET assemblies, and there's a link all, which will do everything. And we have a pretty aggressive linker. I don't know if you can describe <laughs> it's not how aggressive or unaggressive. It's just how much does it recognize and how much does it miss. .NET is actually very tricky. Uh, its generic types can be very tricky to uh, bolt down what's needed. And anytime yeah. you make a virtual method call, say I write a function called Frank's function, Frank's awesome function number three, mm-hmm. and I take just an object as a parameter, and then I call object.toString. Mm. Well, now anything can be an object. That means I have to compile the toString method on every class mm-hmm. out there. It's, it's a hard problem. That's a very small optimization that Frank just gave to the entire listener base. <laughs> Don't, do, Don't that. do that. Don't take object as parameters if you're running on iOS or Android. Yeah. Uh, I'll try so, not. <laughs> so I adjusted these different variables. I never did link. Uh, don't link because that would be silly. But um, I also uh, um, put this together with ProGuard. Are you familiar with ProGuard? Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, ProGuard is, a, is, think of, we have our own linker. It's it's a linker for Java code. Oh, sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So you're including some Java code into your Android application, some of the Google Play services, for instance, or some of the support libraries. So I, I checked all these different boxes into this stuff. And between link SDK and link all SDK, it was about like a five meg difference. And, and that was all in the extra library. So it wasn't in the Xamarin core library. It was in, it was in all these extra Because link SDK takes care of those, I see. Yeah. So you have the program, then you have the link all assemblies that are removing this junk. So that's what's important is kind of understanding. So tell me the swing again. Uh, how, how big is a non-linked app? Did you do that? Oh, so a non-linked app is pretty big. Yeah. Uh, that's like 60 <laughs> megs or something like that. Anyone who's ever downloaded my app called Continuous knows what an unlinked app looks like, yes. how big it is. Yes. And so if you see, like, if, if I have a lot of developers come back, oh, my app's so big, it's like 50 or 60 megs. And I go, did you turn on linking? And sometimes if something gets removed, so you might turn on all link all, and then the linker actually removes something yeah. that it, you need. It's usually just reflection. Anything that uses reflection, um, it's pretty much impossible for the linker to make sense of it because it has to be executed to make sense of it. And exactly. so the moment you touch reflection, you probably need to turn off the linker for that project. Yeah. And there's, well, there's additional, if you're creating libraries, there's preserve attributes there for are, iOS yep. and Android. Uh, Xamarin's got good documentation on the linker because it's an important topic. And then you mentioned it before, .NET Native, I think they have a whole different, it, it's very similar, but you end up writing these configuration files to say what links in and what doesn't. And it's the same thing with ProGuard. You have a whole configuration oh, okay. file to say oh, what. I configuration files. <laughs> I, I really like how Xamarin did it where you just put an attribute on the type and it says, okay, linker, don't touch this thing. Yeah. And these are all very important parts to creating an application. Because to me, if, 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 if I didn't understand how jitting worked and how AOT worked and how our linker worked, it's actually hard to get an application out there. So, Is it? you know, that's un- unfortunate. You just well, link to, all, man, and avoid reflection. Link all, yeah. avoid. Well, the thing is, you. The thing is that we live in this world where I'm downloading and I'm installing all these NuGet packages, you know, and I can't rely on that. So it's oh it's God. what goes wrong. So what I do in my development process is I always just turn on link all. You can do it in yeah. debug mode too. Is what I would recommend. Yeah, start it there. Will, it will tell you the method that that you can't find, and then start just adding these don't link <laughs> flags into your application. You can do it in. It's totally fine. That's There's pretty really aggressive. not that many. That's pretty aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> really not that many. 
which is totally fine. It, it's pretty nice. But I mean, these are all important things, which is why I think that we wanted to kind of talk about this. And you obviously yeah. have been writing your own interpreter and compilers and all this <laughs> stuff. Um, you still have a fork of Roslyn? Is that, was that what? Yeah, it still it hasn't gotten merged in. Um, yeah. It, it, it's merged complex yeah. now. It's okay. So far, it fast forwards pretty fast. So I'm able to keep up with them. It, it hasn't been an issue. But gosh, I wish that I had gotten that thing into the master branch. And if anyone is interested in learning how compilers and all this stuff works, go grab that Roslyn source code. You can learn so much from it. It's there, right? You can just go and just read exactly what it's doing. It, it might be a bit much in the beginning. There's a lot to learn, but break it down by its pieces. Learn how the syntax tree works. Learn all those classes and then dive into the compiler. <laughs> well, there you go. I now expect that all of our listeners will go create their own language and then interpreter and then compiler for that language. And that linker. Don't created. forget it. You got to write a linker. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> and, and just give us a link. Just give us an, a little attribute so we can uh, preserve we'll be good to go yes sounds great and and give your language a good name uh, I, li- yeah. I like funny names oh uh, yeah mod sharp not not a great name so i would use it oh there we go perfect there we have it mod sharp the next development programming language that you'll oh, be Lord. using for all of your native applications <laughs> across it's gonna be i notify property changed everywhere <laughs> that's it that's all you need that's how i live my life well there you have it This is Merge Conflict. You can find us at mergeconflict.fm. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. 